To hear the full episode, become a patron at patreon.com slash deathpanelpod. I think one of the reasons that it's important to think about this right now is, yeah, sure, partly because actually some things like that, that feeling, that kind of hunch, that sort of sense, um, and particularly, I think, the kind of resurgence of references or cultural interest in the lavender scare, like there is something that that's telling us, right? Um, but I think, you know, precisely what it's telling us is not that we're living in a 1950s style lavender scare or that we moved on from 1950s style lavender scare. But my my guess is more that some of the political dynamics and some of the unanswered questions deliberately unanswered questions from that time period are the structuring uh, kind of premises for political conflicts that are playing out in real time today. And so I think like it's important to to go back to that time period in part because the the kind of project of official state homophobia, that kind of way that it implies like the state can play this just like literally repressive kind of role with a minority population, that whole kind of like arrangement, that whole kind of chessboard for understanding sexual politics was constructed during the Lavender Scare. Like that's the time period in which we not only get, you know, official federal policies uh, on homosexuality, but we also, that's the time period where a certain class of gay people invent the idea of gay people and lesbian people as a minority group uh, mm-hmm. in a lot of pretty complicated and often fairly racist ways vis-a-vis the Black Freedom Movement in particular. Um, and so it's like, I think there's that. And then just to say, like, there are these intervening histories that have basically spun the the liberal story we hear about the Lavender Scare. And I think probably a first wave of that actually happened during the 1980s, during, you know, the outbreak of the AIDS crisis, in part just because generationally, um, a lot of gay men who, you know, were part of that kind of Lavender Scare Cold War generation, Um, were dying. And that led to all sorts of kind of cultural production and anxiety and moralizing. And, you know, a lot of that just kind of gets personified in Roy Cohn, Senator Joseph McCarthy's kind of right hand man uh, in investigating communists uh, and gay people in the civil service who himself was a closeted you know, gay man and, and dies of AIDS. But so, so there was this kind of whole revision moment in the 80s. And that has a lot to do with like, gay liberation and, you know, gay politics around AIDS. But then, yeah, I think we we then also have this like 21st century version that's about like, you know, the like mainstream liberal LGBT pride movement and kind of just sexual liberalism as we live it today, trying to paint kind of progress narratives that tie together all of these different strands of queer and trans history that actually do not go together at all, uh, usually for reasons of class. <laughs> and mm-hmm. like, you know, the way that that kind of acronym or umbrella just like deliberately sandwiches together groups of people whose interests have not been aligned and have been antagonistic, right? And so there was this kind of re-narrating. And so I think the Lavender Scare is in some ways like an allegory, um, like a really bad allegory, the way it's put to use, but one that's supposed to tell us a few things. Like one, what the proper relationship is between sexuality and state power, which is to say that somehow, like, for example, being a gay man and like exercising state power, being a part of empire 
are somehow actually not compatible until you arrive at an era of inclusion, as opposed to the idea that maybe they were actually pretty compatible, um, you know, back mm -hmm. in the 1950s. But it's also this allegory for like proper gay politics. Um, and I think like the the, the other thing I kind of want to dive into today is like one thing I'll often say is it's it's this era of pre-Stonewall activists who come together around the lavender scare, the homophile movement, principally the Mattachine Society uh, of Washington, D.C., you know, they they are the ones that sort of figure out how to successfully challenge state homophobia uh, and basically create this theory, you know, that what homophobia does is it's a social stigma that prevents otherwise really productive patriotic white gays and lesbians <laughs> from their entitlements and their contributions to normative society, including to the military industrial complex or the State Department or the CIA. Right. And so the proper like form of gay politics is to repair that exclusion and allow those people who otherwise would have enjoyed kind of the full entitlements and benefits of an unequal U.S. society to reclaim what was wrongly taken away. Um, you know, gay liberation came in and kind of changed the story of like gay politics. But I would argue as a historian that it's the homophile vision that actually won out. Like we mm -hmm. are living in the greatest fantasy of the Mattachine society today. And I think that mm -hmm. might be in part that discrepancy. Like I just named, I think, several discrepancies, but I think those might be what listeners are kind of sensing like, mm, this doesn't add up. Like mm -hmm. I've sort of been told one story that seems like both like it's exaggerating what was going on in the fifties, but also is exaggerating the resolution of those issues. And so largely, I guess my kind of my interest in coming back to this era is just to suggest that we are very much stuck in the unfinished business of that era. Uh, the kind of fundamental question about like what sexual citizenship or gender citizenship looks like and the story that we have been told about it is not actually reflect reality. And I think that that is partially why it's both so appealing to return to this kind of like formative scene of the homophobic witch hunt because it feels so melodramatic, but also to return to it to be like, wait a minute, what the heck really happened? Uh, now, where are we today? And so I'm so glad you mentioned Jaspir's work, though, because actually I was just talking to her about this like last month. You know, it's like in some ways the kind of homonationalism, which a lot of us are, are talking about today in the context of pinkwashing, um, around Israeli settler colonialism and genocide, that kind of version of homo nationalism that serves empire also was constructed largely in the 1950s and 60s. To hear the full episode, become a patron at patreon.com slash deathpanelpod. You'll get access to this and the rest of our catalog of patron-only episodes, and be the first to get a new patron episode every Monday when it drops. With love, the Death Panel.